0: Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Schedule, but before we do, we actually have a special guest with us right now. Yes, we
1: do. He's called in from the Kuypers Family Farm in Maple Park. Joe Kuypers, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me, guys. This is, this is good stuff. So a few episodes ago, we were talking about the fact that at our Regathering 2022 event, there was a custom Christ Community Church corn maze, mm-hmm. which of course, it's the Kuipers family farm that put together the corn maze. And we were stumbling all over ourselves because we realized we don't really know how the heck you make a corn maze. So Joe, this is big. Enlighten this. Every, every listener of our podcast wants to know the answer to this <laughs> question. How the heck do you make a corn maze?
2: Well, that's a great question. Um, I'd say there's a couple different ways you can do it, and believe it or not, there's like an evolution of how corn mazes have been made. But I'll tell you what we did for this one, and then I'll tell you some some other ways that it can be done as well. <clears throat> Basically, what we do is so when you plant corn, if you drive past the regular cornfield, you see the corns all planted in rows, obviously. But when you plant a corn maze you need to cross plant it. So you plant it one direction and you plant it again, the other direction. So that way you can't sneak through the rows. So that's step one. So, uh, so, it, so it, wait, does it
3: start off like a grid?
2: Basically like, yeah. Think of it like a giant grid. Instead so of rows kind of that you
3: could, through. instead of rows you could
1: walk through, it's just planted so dense that you couldn't find a row.
2: That's right. Yeah. Wow. So it's basically, if you, if you're looking from above, it's like, North and South running rows and East and West running rows.
1: I already know a hundred percent more about corn mazes than I did before this podcast <laughs> episode started.
3: All, all Eric had before was I like to laugh at people when they get lost. Yeah, And so, yeah. Well, okay. So, so you plan it in grids?
2: We, we plan it in basically a giant grid. And then there's a company that uh, we work with that actually GPS designs the entire, uh, the entire design. So they take, what, what I did is I sent them Christ Community's logo over, and then um, they basically took that logo and kind of blew it up into this grid and then added a bunch of paths and whatnot to kind of weave it all together. Um, and then when what happens is once the corn is about, oh, just, just basically coming out of the ground, this company will come out and they'll lay the whole thing out with flags. And um, we'll go through and kind of just spray down anything that's in the pathway so then the corn stops growing in the pathways and then throughout the summer as the corn grows and more and more we'll keep rototilling it to keep it nice and fresh to keep weeds growing out of the paths and yeah that's pretty much how it's done wow
3: wait a minute so it's so a you, company
0: that does that kind so, of thing
3: so they 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 mark it with flags and then you 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 spray it so it doesn't grow there so it's it's like think it's like
2: think like not with a tractor sprayer think like backpack sprayers and like hand pumps. Like, like, walk- me. You, walk you walk through walk that through thing it. and spray it? Yes. Walk through the whole thing and spray it. This is it. a yeah. labor of love. Wow. It's a, it's a labor of love. This is actually much better than the way I grew up doing it because when we were growing up, we used to do a lot more of it ourselves. Mo- right now, most this company mostly handles all the marking and the spraying. When I was growing up, though, it was a lot of mowing the, the rows and like you know using like a hand hoe and like getting all the corners oh my god it, like wow. it was like my whole child my whole childhood was spent in a cornfield <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. my, my whole childhood was spent in the cornfield
1: have you ever just made a maze out of your mind like out of your head like you just started hacking away at it and
2: built a maze? i uh I have never done that in the corn maze, but last year, uh, we still need to, we, we do a sunflower festival too. Last year I tried to do a little bit of a maze through the sunflowers and I just did it, you know, just like, Hey, let's get out there with the rototiller and see how, how I can make this. And it wasn't near as pretty. And I'd say it probably equally as hard because people definitely got lost and were like, I didn't know how to get out of there. And it's a, a lot easier to cut through a cornfield than sunflowers apparently. Um, so I probably won't do that again. But
0: uh,
3: yeah, the GPS model
1: is the
0: way to go for
2: sure. Wow! Wow! That's amazing. There's, we we if were wrong.
3: If, both of our predictions There's, were wrong. We were. We we at first <laughs> were like either you plant it where you want it to grow and only there, or you plant a ton of it and then. But the GPS guides you in your tractor or something. But it's like literally by hand. That's the wild part.
2: Yeah. Now there is. You're not totally wrong, though, because there is other companies. We were just actually talking about this morning, me and my dad were. There is other companies that now with farming technology is just crazy. They have a planter that you hook the GPS into the tractor and the planter. And as the planter goes through, it'll not drop seed where the rows are. So it'll like, no, the planter will know where all the the pathways are going to be. And it just won't drop corn seed, you know, where that's going to be.
3: It is insane that that's possible.
2: That's like science fiction to me, even as a farmer. I'm like, that doesn't, I don't think that's real until I see that happen. That was like the Jetsons when you were a kid. (laughs) That's right. I'm like, growing up, I've been like, one day they'll have this, and I won't be hoeing corn.
0: (laughs) The technology is incredible. Out there
3: in the field, you are imagining this. You know what's uh,
1: the most shocking thing to me about this whole conversation is that there's actually an industry enough for corn mazes that someone developed that technology.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, here we, we we're not sitting there thinking about corn mazes, but people like Joe and his family, they are. Like they and they yeah, like
3: every every fall people go, you know, pick pumpkin pumpkins and apples and stuff and go to places that have the corn mazes, so Around the country, there's got to yeah, be something. So. It's
0: incredible. Wow. All
3: right, Joe, one one more question, and then we'll, we'll
1: let you go. We appreciate your time. How often, yeah, do, how often do children or parents get lost in the corn <laughs> maze and cry or freak
2: out? I'd say you get a hand. I, I'm, I'm curious, Eric, if you're going to react to this with pure joy with some of these stories. But <laughs> you know I have. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say it's it's definitely uh, at least one um one a year where it's like like hey we're really stuck really lost but you know you, you, i almost feel bad for people who do get lost and typically what they'll do is they'll call like our uh, business office and then people oh cell the phones have and, ruined uh, it yeah call the staff. <laughs> um, but those people i know they have huge hearts because 99 percent of the people when they get lost in a corn maze just cut their way out and that's why by the, by the end of October, there's like all these extra paths. And I'm like, I didn't cut that one. I didn't cut that one. These are all these new paths. People Oh, people destroy
1: um, your corn maze because they're panicking. That people will just
2: panic and they'll just run out and make their own path to I get out. Or never they'll considered that. be like, we're stuck. We're lost. Yeah. Uh, you really ride what? or flight like just, tr- tr- that just make makes a straight that, line it
1: just makes <laughs> oh. the corn maze panic that much more oh insane if you like, saw someone climbing through pulling it ah, we gotta get out of here oh my gosh hey joe thanks for joining us today we actually have to talk about job chapter three but uh <laughs> so uh, we are we are thankful <laughs> so that we so have now set the record straight on how corn mazes
2: are made hey thanks for having me on guys this is fun thanks joe have a good day, good day man show. Yep, you too
0: Gosh, that was fascinating! All right, Clayton, what passage are we looking at today?
3: Oh man, this is going to be a hard turn into a new book of the Bible. We are talking about the book of Job today, uh, which is not nearly as joyful as a corn maze. Uh, this is a, this is a heavy one. So let me let me give you some context about the book of Job before we get into the passage. Uh, the book of Job is what we call wisdom literature. So, uh, wisdom literature, big picture, is all about how to live well. So it's saying, how does the world work, and how does someone find their way to say, I know how to live well in a world that God made and and put together in an orderly way. So the like classic example of a wisdom book is Proverbs, and it's got all of these principles of how life usually works. But then there are a few other wisdom books, and Job is one of them that kind of give the other side of the story. So this is you kind of have to see these as going together. So the Book of Proverbs is going to tell you, hey, you live right good things happen. You, you uh, wisely make choices and good results come of that. Uh, if you honor God, then you know things go well with you. And in general, that is true. But then there are the things that we all experience where we say, hang on a second, that didn't pay off in my life. And Job is like that turned up to 11. Like it's, the, it's the ultimate experience of what happens when someone does the right thing but life goes really bad for them. So um, we're gonna be starting in chapter three here, but I wanna summarize chapter one and two because the way Job is set up is it is uh, on the beginning and the end of the book, it's kind of a, a story, it's called a frame narrative. And so you get uh, a story about Job and in in the middle of that, you get all of the reactions as everybody processing the story, okay? So uh, the first two chapters tell the story, it starts off in heaven And it is God gathering all of the angels and spiritual beings around him and saying, let's kind of talk about what's going on in the world. And God says, so uh, Satan is gathered there, you know, kind of has to report in. And God says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? Because God is saying Job is a really righteous guy. He does what's right. He honors me. And Satan says, yeah, I know Job. But you know what? The only reason he honors you and does what's right is because his life's pretty easy. He's got it going well, you've blessed him. And if you took that blessing away, he would curse you, curse you to your face. And so God says, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, play this out. We'll, I'll take that bet and we'll see what the scenario is. And, and he gives Satan permission to take away all of the material blessings he has. So, uh, you know, his, his wealth and so on, um, Including his children end up dying, uh, he loses you know all of his you know farmland and livestock and, and all of all of his wealth. Um, and then uh, he still blesses God, but then Satan comes back and says, "Yeah, but if you if you took away his health, you know if you you gave made him miserable, physically miserable, then he'd curse you." And so God says, "All right, you have permission to do that. You you can't kill him, but if you want to you know if you touch his you know, his, his health, do it. And so Job ends up with these sores and he's sick and he's just suffering. And his own wife says, why are you still trying to honor God? Just just curse God and die. Like, this is awful. Like, it this has been ruined. But Job, he says, no, you know, God gives, God takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. He honors God in that. Now that's the story, right? That's the narrative of what happens. But then you kind of get these this middle portion, which is the longest part of the book, which is, a poetic exploration of what do you do with this? And so the way it's set up is it's Job and several friends who are having uh, these this back and forth conversation, and it's all written in poetry. So I'm very sure that Job and his friends weren't sitting down there, you know, talking in verse. It wasn't like a rap battle or something. Uh, this was. <laughs> a, are you sure a Job rap battle? <laughs> this is a poetic capturing of of the the kind of interaction they might have had. But um, but it, it's really it gets really rich in saying how do you process when suffering comes to someone who doesn't seem to deserve suffering. So we are going to get into chapter three. This is Job's first gut reaction to his situation. And uh, Eric's going to read that to us.
1: After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, may the day of my birth perish and and the night that said a boy is conceived. That day, may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. May gloom and utter darkness claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm it. That night may thick darkness seize it. May it not be included among the days of the year, nor be entered in any of the months. May that night be barren. May no shout of joy be heard in it. May those who curse days curse that day. Those who are ready to rouse Leviathan. May its morning stars become dark. May it wait for daylight in vain and not see the first rays of dawn. For it did not shut the doors of the womb on me to hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not perish at birth? "'and die as I came from the womb. "'Why were there knees to receive me "'and breasts that I might be nursed? "'For now I would be lying down in peace. "'I would be asleep and at rest "'with kings and rulers of the earth "'who built for themselves places now lying in ruins, "'with princes who had gold, "'who filled their houses with silver. "'Or why was I not hidden away in the ground "'like a stillborn child, "'like an infant who never saw the light of day? "'There the wicked cease from turmoil "'and there there the weary are at rest.' captives also enjoy their ease they no longer hear the slave driver shout the small and the great are there and the slaves are freed from their owners why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul to those who long for death that does not come who search for it more than hidden treasure who are filled with gladness and rejoice when they reach the grave why is life given to a man whose way is hidden whom god has hedged in For sighing has become my daily food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil.
3: All right. Let's start with O, observation. What do you guys see here?
0: First off, when you said that um, the book of Job was a, a wisdom literature about how to live well, I... I don't normally think of going to Job on, like, trying to, how, how do I live well? Let me go read the book of Job. You know what I mean? Um, it's a very hard book to get through for me personally, but I'm always reminded that when I go back and I read through it, that that is there. Yeah. You have to almost cut through um, the, the. there's just so much hard in this book.
3: Yeah. It's it's interesting. We you don't think of it as wisdom in the same way as, as Proverbs was like. Give me some practical advice on how to do right, something. Right. But I, you know, we talk to a ton of people here at the church where the time when they're coming to say, "I need some guidance in my life," it's precisely when pain hits. And so, like they're, the place of saying, "I need to figure this out. What do I do? How do I understand that? How do I think about that?" Uh, suffering is often that place. In some ways, I wish they were listening to Proverbs. Earlier, you know what I mean. Get some practical advice, but sometimes it's only when you're desperate and saying, "What just happened? My life fell apart," that you come seeking some of that wisdom.
0: Yeah, I think it it helps us um, know that it's okay to put words, uh, really tough words, to like the 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 pain that we that we feel and express. And yes, this is done in a very vivid, poetic way not not usually how we would talk on a daily basis, but you know, like an individual person would have very vivid and you know, maybe even sometimes poetic like expressions of of what kind of pain they're they're experiencing right now.
1: Uh, my observation is not from a particular verse, but rather the overall tone of what's going on here, and it is the perplexed tone of someone that's asking the question: If I don't want to live, what kind of God has me living? I'd rather be dead.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I saw a number of uh, different repeated words here. Um, The specific one I I see here is in like verse 11, 12, 20, 23 is the word why. Why, why, why? Um, and, And there's something really great about there being a lot of questions in this. Um, just like you were saying, Nikki, like there's permission to say these things. I, I think the the fact that you see Job, who we already know, like like the very first, the chapter right before says he's a godly guy. He's responding to God in a good way. That the first thing out of his mouth are, are these really hard questions. And that's to say a godly person can still ask these hard questions is a is a cool thing.
1: Yeah. So Nikki, when you said earlier, you don't often think of Job as wisdom literature, mm-hmm. you think about Proverbs which answers the question, how, like, how do you, how do you navigate this created world that, that God has created? Ecclesiastes would answer the question, like, what, what is, what is the meaning of life? What is Mm -hmm. the meaning to all of this? And here you have the why question in Job. Why, why does life seem to work out sometimes in a way that doesn't seem to be reconcilable with, Good behavior and bad behavior. Why do bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people? Right. So that's a maybe. It's just a really well-rounded yeah. approach to yeah. to wisdom literature.
0: Yeah, that's a that's really helpful to look at it that way. Um, one of the things that I that I picked up on is um, how hard this particular passage, eleven through um, seventeen, we'll say, might be hard for some people who have. They've lost kids, maybe they've had some stillbirths in their life, and it's like you know if I was a a mourning parent or something like that, how hard would it be for me to read that passage and um I'm sure that those questions of why then right yeah. are are popping into their mind, and that's a that's again just that that a heaviness of we don't know why that happened, but it did
3: you yeah know? yeah well i I was thinking similarly about people who have. Uh, struggled with suicide you know that they mm. they get to a place mm-hmm. of despair and they say I don't want to live anymore and now Job isn't it doesn't seem like he's saying I'm thinking of taking my own life but he's at least emotionally at the place of saying you know what it it sounds like death would be a relief to what I'm going through and uh, you know there's there's a weird kind of comfort in a passage like this for the person who is in that place, because sometimes when you get to those places of despair and darkness, you think this is this is an experience that's beyond like what God speaks into. Like I've stepped out of you know uh, good godly behavior and and people who are doing it right don't feel this, and yet to find out that that expression of um, I I I'm in a situation where I wonder if if I can handle living anymore. Um, it doesn't mean that you know the way out is actually through death, but that those feelings and those questions are things that do come up even for people who are trying to do the right thing. Um, I even I, you know it, it, the connections I make with that are um, I think of uh, Paul in the New Testament. He said it, we got to the place where we despaired of life itself, and even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, "I'm sorrowful, uh, my heart my heart is weighed down to the point of death. I'm overwhelmed with sorrow." And so there there is space within Scripture to say. People go through these things and there is a a way to process that with God.
1: Another observation for me is verses one through 10, which is a very poetic way of saying, I wish I was never born.
3: Yeah.
0: It's a a long elaborate
3: way of saying, when he says curse the day of my birth, it's like, I don't ever think to say it that way, but yeah.
0: Um, One of the things that I looked at in verse 24, he says, for sighing has become my daily food and my groans pour out like water. I, I thought of that like, um, I know we're talking about like, there's, I wish I was never born or like the whole like, you know, like a, like a child never being actually like, you know, having life, like having life to the full, Get, getting to the point of being where he is. It's also... I'm thinking of like people who get really old, people who have who struggle with sickness and like are to the point where they're just exhausted, and they're like, "Okay, what do I have left here?" Like, um, it, that also could possibly fit in that category too. Of just I have lived so long, and I'm in so much pain. Like, when do I get to go home to be with Jesus? And they're asking the when question or the you know the why yeah. haven't why hasn't it happened yet?
3: Yeah. Uh, it, it, where's that phrase in here? It's like those who long for death that does not come. Yeah, you know, there's there's definitely that. I I uh, I noticed the different types of people he mentioned in here. He talks about the kings and the princes. Mm-hmm. He talks about uh, the the weary, the captives, the slaves. He like goes the whole span of you know people who've got it good and people who don't. Like they they all die. You know what I mean? Like he's kind of contemplating the fact that that death comes to all of these people, and yet it hasn't come for him. You know, so he's he's bemoaning that. But there's this sort of like. Let's face the reality of life, everybody, everybody gets to to a place of death at some point.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's interesting is he's in such a negative mental state that it doesn't matter who he describes, death is the better option. Yeah. Right. right. So it's not like he said, like, oh, for the captives, of course, death is better because they're finally set free. But these kings and princes are better off dead because they don't have to work and build their kingdoms anymore. It doesn't matter who yeah. he uses as the yeah. example.
3: No, he's death is better. He's mm-hmm. saying, "No, this is this is this is the the relief for everybody." Yeah. Any other observations?
0: Uh, I I saw in verse eight. There's a a weird name there. What? How do you say it? Leviathan. Bro- Leviathan? <laughs> what is?
3: Oh so man. So the study
0: notes said it was a sea monster.
3: Yeah. So it's a it's a little tricky to put your finger exactly on what it's referring to, like in the in the world, right? Um, but uh, Leviathan will come up later in Job. So uh, there is a lot of nature imagery in Job um, and it, it ramps up towards the end. And um, and Leviathan gets a featured case because it's this, what, however it's described, it's some sort of big, intense, wild, untamable creature that lives in the sea. Now, what species that might be. SpongeBob. It's, n- <laughs> yeah. Um, we,
1: no. we I, did you,
0: you guys didn't see me on the podcast, but I'm humming the, who lives in the pineapple of the sea.
1: SpongeBob is not the chaotic sea monster. SpongeBob is, Sponge monster. is he lovable said, and he fun. He said
0: under the sea and it just popped into.
1: Not Little Mermaid didn't pop up. Well, that, I mean, That, hear the phrase that under literally the sea?
0: just popped into my mind when I said under the sea.
1: So. Leviathan there. is not like the Little Mermaid. Or SpongeBob. <laughs> or SpongeBob.
3: The Leviathan uh, is an ancient symbol of the uncontrollable, unexplainable chaos that is beyond human. Comprehension. So, mm. if you think of um, you think of uh, humans today, you look at outer space as the wild, untamable, unreachable, unknowable thing. Um, to the ancient person, the sea was that because they would encounter these incredible creatures. You can only sail so far, and you kind of know where you're going. And so, the the wild creature that lives in the ocean is the uh, the, the unpredictable, untamable thing. And in some ways, is the uh, was a symbol for the suffering and bad things that happened uh, in life. And so we're later going to talk, talk about, you know, God being in charge of that. Um, but for Job, it's like a symbol of like the, the random stuff that happens that you don't understand.
1: Yeah, there's, there's another backdrop to all of this. And by the way, I forgot my iPad today, so I don't have my sound effects. <laughs> but here comes your comma tip of the week. It's very important that sometimes you check out the timelines in your study Bible. Now, and here's why. It's very difficult to pinpoint on a timeline when Job takes place. But it is helpful to recognize that it is likely like pre-Moses, pre-law. So this is not this is as you're reading Job, you're you're not talking about people who have a lot of history with God revealing himself by giving them the law and talking to them. You also want to make sure that you always put things in the, in the timeline because Job is not here thinking, I want to go be with Jesus. He would have no thoughts about Jesus. It helps you with context. So the context here is how they would think about the gods in general, not just the one true God that we would now, having the revealed scriptures, instruct us about. So their general approach to the gods is the gods made us because they need something and so we were created to serve the gods. And so we have a relationship with the gods. And if something bad is going on in my life, like my health gets bad, it's because somehow I have not served the gods well and they're mad at me, but I really don't know exactly what I did. And so you have to be careful to separate New Testament from Old Testament from Job, because they are all very different things. And this has been your comma tip of the
3: week without <laughs> sound effects. ding, ding. All right, from that, let's uh, let's go on to message. Based on some of the things we've seen, uh, what's a message you would get out of this passage?
0: Well, so I know that you said, you know, reading this according to the timeline, that people back then would not be thinking about Jesus, but I thought about Jesus when I read it. Um, I actually thought about the passage in the Gospel of John, uh, verse 16, when Jesus tells the disciples, um, he says, like, you will have trouble in this world, but in me, you're going to have peace. And I, I picked up on that from verse 10 when Job says, um, for it did not shut the doors of the womb on me to hide trouble from my eyes. And it's just a reminder to me that um, we are always going to find trouble. We will, we will have trouble, uh, but in Jesus, we may also have peace. And so that's, that's my message.
1: I think I'll base my message off of Clayton's observation, which was the repetitive question, why? And my message would be, it's okay to be perplexed and to admit you're perplexed because when you're honest about your questions, you just might start to get some answers.
3: That's good. Um, My message uh, is based off just the presence of a chapter like this in the Bible. And it's even godly people get depressed. Um, and sometimes for a good reason, like Job's life was not it's not like he's complaining about something that is uh, insignificant. Like his life has fallen apart, and there's a reason for him to to feel like he's miserable and and wonder about that. Um, and so uh, like just the idea, like we're looking at someone who is held up in the Bible as an example, and yet here he is uh, suffering and and deeply depressed. And so there's there's a reality that if if you're deeply depressed, that doesn't necessarily mean uh, that you've somehow, you know, ceased to be godly or or, or have disconnected from Him. All right. Let's talk about meditation. Um, I, I think I am going to base our meditation off of Eric's message here, um, and it's that that permission to ask questions and, and maybe the permission to perhaps complain. Um, there is a form of prayer called lament, which is essentially asking that question, "Why, God?" You know, and and, and saying, uh, "You know, I see this thing in m- in my life or in in the world, and I and I don't like it." and God, why is this happening? And and calling out to God. So, um, you you usually when you lament, it takes more than forty five seconds. But that's what we're going to give you at least in the podcast to get started. Uh, or it may be something you want to pause and 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 take some time to do this. But take a little bit of time and ask God those honest, hard questions about why, and take some time to lament. Let's talk about the A and comma, which is application. What do we do in response to this passage?
1: My application will almost sound like a message. Uh, it's, the, it's the thought that it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to just wallow in that. So if you're perplexed, if you're wondering, if you're depressed, it's okay to be honest about all of those things, but don't stay there. Keep seeking for answers. Keep seeking for truth surround yourself with people that will help you walk with God find your answers find hope so that that's my application it's okay to not be okay but it's not okay to stay there
0: uh, for me the application that I have was this um, this idea when I was just thinking about Jesus like we we may have peace in Jesus says in me you may have peace um, for me when I have those struggles of why or I find myself in these Situations. Um, I go back to thinking of the times when Jesus found himself, himself, in really tough situations. So when he was tempted, uh, you know, by the devil in the in the desert, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, when he was on the cross, like all of these times where he faced trouble, right? Um, and every time he did, he went to God with those things and he sought his Father. I even think of the like the times when it would say he like went off early in the morning and he prayed to God, like. I'm sure those were moments where he sought his father's wisdom and guidance and help, and to me it's prayer and just talking to God and processing what I'm feeling um, and just being attentive to whatever I think my next step is from there
3: uh, my application uh, based on the message that you know even even godly people get depressed is kind of twofold um, one is to to have compassion on others to to just understand that. There, there are things that happen in people's lives or people, or things that just happen inside of people where they get into really hard, dark places. And there is uh, a, a compassion that comes from saying, I, like, I understand that that happens to you. Even if you're not in that kind of situation, um, spending time with someone like Job makes you say, okay, hang on. This is what it feels like. This is how dark it gets for people and to, to be compassionate. And, and then related to that is um, really to just say that there's no stigma about saying, I'm in this place. Uh, it, similar to what Ferris said. Like to actually seek help. Um, part of the reason people will get stuck in those places is they feel ashamed to say out loud or to another person. This is these are the thoughts I'm having that I've that I've gotten to this place where I'm, I'm wondering if it's better to die than to live, or uh, I'm wondering why I was even born, or uh, what is God doing in this. Uh, but it's actually in um, there, there. There isn't a shame to, to going to someone and saying this is what what's going through my heart and mind right now. What can I do? Um, lots of people get there. And, and to, to express it and, and seek help um, is not a shameful thing. It's something that uh, anybody might need to do at any time in their life.
1: Yeah. You know what happens when you shine some light into a dark place? It gets a little less dark.
3: Yeah.
0: Well, there you have it, friends. Thanks for joining us this week. Uh, Join us next Monday for a new episode. We'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy reading schedule. And in the meantime, if you're not following along with the reading plan, you can check out biblesavvy.com to download it and start reading along. You can also subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at biblesavvy.com. Lastly, tell your friends and we'll talk to you next week.